Welcome to the Sick and Successful Podcast. If you're a business owner, work in corporate, or have a side hustle you're passionate about, you're going to want to stick around because I promise to ask the tough questions and talk about the things others shy away from. You know, what it's really like to own a business and be chronically ill. I'm going to give you that push you need towards following your dreams and be the friend you come back to week after week to talk about the real things in life and in business. If you have goals and are working towards them, if you're determined to be successful, no matter what life's obstacles get in the way, this podcast is for you. Dream big and tune in. Welcome back to the Sick and Successful Podcast. This is your host, Natalie Supes. We have a reoccurring guest. She is phenomenal. She was on episode 120 talking all about the Enneagram and she is back, Erin Bowdy, to share and to actually do my typing. So we're going to go through. I'm going to answer some questions. Um, she's going to explain some things. Then we're going to stop in the whole process because it's not something we can share on the podcast. And then we're going to get back into kind of the results and some of the other things that she shares. So you can get a little bit of a feel what it's like to do this typing process with Erin. Welcome back to the show. I'm super excited. This is so fun. <laughs> I cannot wait. I can. I love all of the personality things. So this is really, really cool. Yeah, me too. Um, and I love this part of the Enneagram because it's it adds a, a, a depth to personality that we don't particularly get when we use like behavior-based models like DISC or Myers-Briggs or those kinds of things, right? They're really looking at the what I do, the behavior, and they're looking at it in the context or environment that I'm in. But if you change the context or the environment, you change the behavior. So true. And unlike these models, this process allows us to get underneath all those behaviors and find out why you feel the need to change it in the first place. Like what is it serving or protecting, which is why I love it. It's also why an online test is hard because it just isn't nuanced enough, right? So here in this space, I have enough exposure to all the different archetypes and all the different behaviors that I can call BS when you answer a question this way and then over here answer it this way. And I can really understand why, whereas an algorithm will just like yes or no, black or white it. Um, we can sort of pull the gray together. That's why I love this process so so much. I think about it and I'm like, I was always typed one thing when I did all of those because I was doing them at work and I was doing them for work. But then when I think about my life outside of work, it's not very much like there's parts, but not fully. So it's cool. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. I'm excited. Yes. Yeah. So I'll give you my, my sort of standard spiel that I give everybody, right? As we sort of start this process. The first thing I tell people is there's absolutely no way you can do it wrong. There is no right or wrong in this work. There is no pass or fail. And there's definitely types that enter in like, all right, I got to do this right, right? And so there's just no way to do it because you're sharing your perspectives, you're sharing your experiences, your opinions. It's my job to categorize and keep track of those experiences in re- in relation to a trend. So you sort of think about me like a human algorithm, right? This is probably the nerdiest thing I do all day, every day. I love it so much. Um, and so I'm going to keep notes. I'm going to keep track, you know, of, of what you say. Maybe I'll ask clarifying questions or push in on areas. If there are any places where there's disparity, I will hold that and we'll sort of figure out why as we move through it. And the goal of this is to find, you know, an archetype or a bucket that is really resonant to all of those behaviors. And 
at the end, we'll sort of try it on together. I think about it like trying on clothes. We go shopping at a department store. This shirt looks great on the rack, right? But we go in the dressing room, we put it on and it's like, not me, not my style, right? Right. That's a lot of how this typing process is where I'm going to hand you shirts to try on, but ultimately you are the one that gets to decide how good it fits. And if it doesn't fit well, we just keep talking until we find something that does, right? So I am not going to tell you your type. I just keep track of the data and we sort of sift through it together. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you ever know the type before you jump into the process? Um, A lot of times, yes, but I learned really, really early on. So I did two years of training with a master Enneagram teacher who's also a clinical psychologist. She's an occupational therapist. She'd been in the military. Like she's this amazing human. Um, and she runs a school called the School of Conscious Living. And this is her assessment that she created. And I trained with her for two years to be able to do these assessments. That's just how much sort of like bias check you have to do. And there's a lot of work that has to be done to sort of filter my own experiences and my own biases to hold what might be true for you. And so early on, I'd be like, oh, this person seems really like this. And then I do their typing and I was wrong. And as like sort of the final check for my training, I had to do a typing in front of a panel and I had my sister do it. And in my head, I was like, she's my sister. I know her type. I think she's X, Y, Z. And I moved through the typing interview and I'm like, oh, I'm wrong. I'm wrong about my own sister, right? And I'd never told her what I thought because that's not ethical and not what I'm here to do, but I sort of held the opinion. And I'm so glad I had that experience early on. That was like 11 years ago. And I was like, I'm not going to do this again. And so while I might have an instinct, I follow that instinct to help me answer the questions and move through it. But I really try not to make a recommendation until we've come all the way through the whole process. And that's hard to do sometimes because I'm like, oh, I want to be done. I want to finish. I'm excited and I have to like slow myself down. So that's my (laughs) own work in it. Okay, But I've done about 2000 of these over the last like 13 years. And like, I just really, really love how in that many, I can't tell you that I've had an experience that felt the same as another. Wow, that's so cool. How many types is there? There are nine dominant types, but in those types, there are three subtypes. Wow. So that's where we're going to work harder than the algorithm. Yeah. Um, So that makes there sort of like 26 options of types, but then we'll get even more complicated and on each side of the type is what we call a wing that adds some nuance to the behavior. So you get like 54 different combinations that, yeah, exactly. So it is way more complex than I am a- Red, blue, yellow, green. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, awesome. Let's do it. So the only other thing I will tell you is that the Enneagram is birthed out of childhood. The personality construct is birthed out of childhood. It is the way in which we make ourselves smaller to cope with a complex world, right? Mm-hmm. And we get over, we sort of over function in a certain behavior, or a certain way of being as a way to cope and they become habits. That's what personality is, is a mask around habits that keep me safe. So when I answer the questions from where I am today, all I'm doing is depicting my growth and my evolution as a human, which we all have, right? 
So when we answer the questions, we're going to hold the spectrum of Natalie as we move through this. So I'll ask you a question. It'll make sense when we get into the question, but I'll ask you a question and you might go, well, that's an area that I've evolved in. I used to care about it this way, but today, because I'm, you know, a mom and I have a partner and a business and a team and all these things, I've learned to sort of soften that. That really matters because it helps us see the source of personality as well as your growth. And the typing process is meant to capture all of that. Awesome. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're going to dive into the questions. Any last minute things that you need before we start? No. So are we pausing the podcast then? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to pause the podcast before getting into the questions. So that that is a unique experience for you. So Aaron doesn't own the process of the typing assessment, so we can't share that part. But I think that's really cool because that means you get to experience that yourself when you book with Aaron. And we will make sure to put the link in the show notes below. Um, So we will be back soon. You'll hear us in a couple seconds. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I know you just heard me exiting, but we're done now. So I don't know how long it was, about half an hour, a little bit longer. Um, Aaron asked me a bunch of emotional questions. (laughs) No, they weren't all emotional, but they were really cool. They got to the root a lot of stuff. So now we're going to go... Um, into the next part that she would take you through. Yes. So, you know, we've done the hard work of uh, asking the questions and getting a real depth of what is a motivator for you. And so now I'm going to like put that in front and we're we're going to try it on. But before we do that, I think the most important thing we can do is sort of pull apart these subtypes and these instincts, right? And I have a video on YouTube that people can go watch to do this for themselves. We'll link or it they down can below. and and they'll hear you do it, right? And so they'll be able to sort of follow this work. But these subtypes match with our Enneagram type and, and they help us create more nuance to just my behaviors, but the the sort of motivating factor underneath them. And they're called self-preservation, social, and relational. And they're tied to cognitive levels of development in childhood, right? So we have them all, we use them all. Think about them kind of like fight, fight, flight, or freeze for the Enneagram type. But we get really good at one as a kid and we overuse it as a habit, right? Sort of becomes the way we over-function. And so it can tell a lot about how we are in like sort of that subconscious automatic habit. So when Natalie is pinched or stressed, what does she go to? That tells us a lot about our personality. So the self-preservation instinct aligns with our level of cognition when we are under the age of two. So you think about what we as a kiddo or other kiddos experience under the age of two. It's really like, are my basic needs being met? Do I have a roof over my head? Do I have food in my belly? Is my diaper dry? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I getting enough nurturing, right? Nurturing is a really huge component to our experience as a kiddo. And when something, and I'm using air quotes when I say, when something happens to me in this level of cognitive development, that something can be a real trauma, like a big T trauma, loss, abuse, neglect, or it could be a little T trauma, a perceived something, Um, the birth of a sibling, the change of a caretaker, dad traveling for work more, right? My kiddo brain can't tell the difference between these experiences. What it recognizes is that I have an interruption in the way I was used to getting my resources met, right? 
And so all of a sudden there's another baby in the house and mom can't come get me when I'm crying and I've got this stranger or grandma or somebody coming in. And so I start to learn that I need to be responsible for my own resources, right? So I cry more, I throw things off my high chair so you pick them up, right? Like I hit my siblings so that I get attention. All these things that we do as a kiddo to pull resources to self. And what happens is it becomes a bigger part of our nervous system, the bigger the gap in filling those resources, right? So if I'm flooded, if if it happens too fast or you know, without enough support, right? Um, it, it sort of overwhelms me with too much of it, or there's not enough, like not enough nurturing, not enough attention, not enough support. I can experience that as big T trauma. And this instinct lives in my body in a really, really intense way. Right. The reason I frame it this way is because you can be connected to these habits or these instincts whether or not you've had significant trauma in your life, right? We develop them regardless, just based on life, but some of us hold them in our bodies more intensely than others because of those experiences. So I have people who are like, I had a great childhood. I didn't have any trauma. I was like, well, you did. We just don't think of it as trauma, right? Like, you know, the, all of a sudden my mom going back to work after maternity leave doesn't feel like it would be, but it changed my environment, my context. So adults, who sit in this dominant instinct, this dominant way of coping, care very much about the resources in their life. Am I managing my time? Do I have control over my calendar, enough white space, right? Um, Do I have enough money in the bank? Is my home picked up and tidy, right? Like, um, you know, do I understand where I'm supposed to be and all the ins and outs of it? Do I have control of my tasks? This person in like a boardroom or a business might be the one that in a training is like, there's not enough seats for everybody. I didn't get a handout. Are we ending at five? I need to go check my emails. Like they're just really concerned with time and space, right? As we develop, as kiddos, typically between the ages of two and four, we step into this social instinct where we recognize that outside of resources, the other way I find safety and security is in my community and my belonging. So the social instinct is really looking at it like a herd mentality, right? So if you think about like a herd of elephants, all the females sort of surround the babies and keep them safe in the middle, That's what we understand in this age of development is as long as I'm in the middle of my herd, I'm safe. But when something happens again, that real or perceived something, I can feel like my herd is cracked open, it's fractured, and something could get in, or I can feel like I'm on the outside Mm -hmm. altogether, and I develop coping strategies to get back in. And so this is where I might people please or fawn or self-forget, or even like, you know, push myself really hard to achieve and be seen, right? If you have kids in this age group, it's like, mom, 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 look at me, look at me, watch me, watch me, right? It's that whole, am I still safe in the middle? Right. So adults who sit in this instinct struggle with saying no, having boundaries, they people please, they may want, you know, everyone in their life to be happy or content with them. They might have a really great day at work and get good feedback from their boss, but their best friend doesn't respond to their text about something that they really needed. And so it, it's the, the fracture in the herd. They all together collectively make me feel good, not one over the other, right? right? So I'm giving my power 
around things um, somewhat equally, right? Does that make sense? Yep, yep. Okay, so then the last one is this relational instinct, typically between the age of four and, and seven. This is where kiddos start to look at that herd and go, oh, I'm going to use like some cognition around preferential connection and I'm going to make my herd smaller. I recognize that like mom needs my needs faster than dad. She's just more practiced at it. Or this teacher doesn't make me feel good. I like this teacher or this coach or this friend, right? Kids are really smart and their brains can hold the capacity of sort of narrowing it down and getting my needs met more quickly. So again, when something happens to kiddos and this phase of development, they know how to give their focus and attention to something smaller. And so adults who sit in this are really, really great at being like single focused, right in the middle of something like my husband is this instinct. And he can be like doing what's in front of him and forget to go pick up the kids from school because it's like, I'm just all in it, right? And that's sort of his coping. So the reality is we have all of these strategies we use one really well. So we think about one as a dominant instinct. That's the one that I learned in childhood. That is when I'm with family of origin, you see the most, or when I'm stressed or pinched sort of comes to the surface. And then I typically have a secondary one underneath that I've learned, right? This is sort of my growth. Maybe I've learned it from a partner, or maybe I've learned it in a job, right? But I've learned to expand my resources. And then most of us have a third that is a blind spot, something that we repress or don't, you know, sink into really, really well. And so our work is to sort of just figure out the stacking of that. And you and I can do that together. But the reality is all of this information really helps us solidify our personality, typically by the ages of 11 or 12. Mm. So 11 or 12 years old is really about when our Enneagram type is set. And then we spend our teens and our 20s sort of grinding that into a subconscious habit. And then here we get into our 30s, our 40s, our 50s. And we're like, ooh, that's not enough. It's not enough of a resource. And so you start to see more growth happening because we go to work and we have families and we have kids and we need more tools than what worked for us at 11 or 12 years old, right? And understand the Enneagram type, we want to know what that 12-year-old version is because that's the part of us that we don't see as clearly And if we can solve for and support, we can sort of crack ourselves open to use all of our tools better, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So if you could, Natalie, if you can't, we'll do it together. Stack those, that self-preservation, social, relational instincts. What would be your top? The resourcing self, the herd, or the sort of intensity and the focus? Definitely the resourcing self felt more close to home. Not that I know of anything that happened between zero and two, but... Doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 And what would you put as secondary? Where? What do you feel like you've grown into or learned or expanded from that? I'm not sure. I I was thinking the herd one, but I don't really know why. Uh, that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> Let's think about you. Let's send you back home, you know, it's the holidays or a family birthday or a family event, and you're going back home. What is the role that you take on in your family when you're sort of returning there? Or if you think about a younger version of you, like, what did you do in those situations? Stay out of the chaos. (laughs) Sorry, mom. Yeah. Stay out of the chaos. (laughs) Yeah. Fair, fair, fair. So that's where we can start to see the self-preservation instinct is like, I'm going into myself first to make sure that I'm okay. 
in order to take really good care of the people in my life that I love. And honestly, chronic illness is a big teacher in this area for a lot of people who aren't good at doing that first. They're forced to around their wellness needs. Like I have to, or I'm not okay. Right. So there's some lessons in there too. So this is really helpful because we take this self-preservation instinct and we align it with this motivation that hopefully you'll align to, right? So this is where I'm handing you a shirt. This is where we're going to sort of try it on and see if it fits. This idea of a motivation around freedom, which is a word that you used quite a bit in our typing, that's really in alignment with the archetype of the type seven. The type seven is what we call like the adventurer, the epicure. I don't think those are great words to describe what is happening in the nervous system of a type seven, which is controlling their own outcomes. Mm -hmm. Type seven kiddos learn that they can't count on the people around them to make them feel seen, loved, safe, right? It's it's lacking some primary nurturing. So something happens where I feel like I'm not getting that acknowledgement, the validation, right? If you think about what nurturing yep. is with the kiddo. Yep. Oh, you have a boo-boo. Oh, that hurts, right? And so seven kiddos are often lacking in someone acknowledging or validating that sort of truth, that sort of experience. And so as kids, they learn, oh, I need to be in charge of my own feel-good experiences. And so I need a wide enough birth and enough opportunities to make sure that I can cultivate it, right? If I have all of the options and I have the, the biggest sort of pathway, I know that I will always control my own good feelings, my own nurturing, what turns into my own happiness, right? Mm -hmm. And so anytime someone constricts that in, tells me no, um, limits that in some way, blocks me in, you'll either see sort of like a suffocation, (laughs) um, pinchy experience, or you'll see a breaking out of watch me Yeah, No one's going to take my freedom away because my body is connected to that in terms of my safety. Freedom to a type seven opportunity, um, we call it gluttony. It's just like a more and more and more is tied to the body the same way you would food, water, air, shelter, right? Like, and when you add the type seven, the the self-preservation instinct to that type seven, you start to see that the type seven uses people as a way to develop that freedom. Mm. So often self-preservation sevens have a really beautiful connect collection of people, right? Like I know somebody who can help me here or here or here or here. So I'm never limited through my resources of people. My mm. dryer breaks. I know somebody that can fix it. I have a friend who's stuck here. I know this person or this person. They're really great connectors. They're really great problem solvers and they use people and talent and community to get that done, which is not surprising that you've built a business around the connection of people and talent, right? right. Like, and problem solving with it. And so there's a, a pragmatism to this type seven that isn't apparent in the other two. Um, we call it the sort of grounded earthly seven feet on the ground, but can look up and be very strategic, very big thinkers, very positive oriented, but practical and pragmatic and action oriented 
in a way that like the traditional seven is not, right? The relational seven is this heavenly um, idealist, uh, often very naive, right? right? And so this is the opposite of that spectrum. And so this is where the Enneagram gets hard because you go to social media and you read about seven in a bucket, you're really only reading about the relational seven. And so the self-preservation seven and the social seven, which is what I fixate at, we get missed because we're too nuanced. We aren't the escape artists and all the things like the relationalists, but they just have the biggest sort of like archetype around it. Right. This, the self-preservation seven is more grounded. The social seven is more selfless. They're more generous. They're more giving. Um, they learn social sacrifice as a way to combat those needs of self. Right. right? Right. So that's why I think the instincts are so important because it helps us understand how it aligns to the motivation in this case yeah. of freedom. I right. Think that's why I never like fully because I I'm pretty sure seven's my favorite number. So that rings a bell on that I've when I've done an enneagram like online test before. I think I was um that's what I got too. But then I didn't relate with most of what it said. So I'm like, eh. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And so e- to get even more nuanced around your type. What I would have you try on, and I'll give you loads of resources so you can read about it and explore and see if it fits, but I would, I'd have you sort of try on this self-preservation dominant seven, right? So it's resource driven. It's, it's somewhat more introverted, even though there's a component of it, but like, you know, very pairing of my own container and my own capacity. So self-preservation seven with an eight wing, which means that you are comfortable taking your gifts out in the world and making an impact. You can do it in a bold, beautiful way, right? Like I'm going to break down doors. I'm going to help other people. Oh yeah. I'm going to make a whole business and a podcast around creating space for folks who might be marginalized in some way because of their wellness, right? Or the lack of wellness that they have in certain, you know, ableistic areas. And so, yeah, that totally tracks in this like bold leadership right but it's always confusing because I'm like I think I'm an introvert but I'm also an extrovert but I don't feel like the whatever they call the one that's both I'm like but I feel like I'm an introverted extrovert (laughs) you are you are because the nervous system of that self-pres instinct says we need to protect me I need to be okay but I have this pull out into the world these big ideas and this boldness around caring about other people that that override that supersede that but it goes with you right that's that sort of core component and that's why it's complicated yeah right and then you use the seven connects in the model the type one and type five so you're using both of those tools the type one i would say is probably your fuel this is the gas in your tank you probably learned this in corporate right I'm going to hold myself to high standards. I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to be Actually, super for my fantastic. Dad, I think. But yeah. For my dad. Yeah. yeah. And then they just tap into it because. Yeah. Put fire you know, over it. Yeah. <laughs> because you, you get ahead with it. Right. So yeah. there's this beautiful follow through and that type connection to type one that you don't see traditionally in a lot of sevens, but it's also your false fuel. Right. So that negative critical voice is what is pushing you to work harder and do more. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, you can hear some old battles there. Yeah. And the five, the five is sort of our internal 
sage, the place that we go to plug in and recharge. It's isolation. It's alone time. It's like hunger for more knowledge and expertise. So that's really beautiful. And then the growth trajectory for the seven is into the type four, which most sevens I work with don't naturally go there, but you already have this beautiful thread. And the four is just all about depth of feeling and connection and emotion. Um, this reverence, this beauty for life, but also this like connection to what is authentic and good and true. And so this creates a map. Your typing interview creates a map of Natalie, of all the things that you're using, the seven, the eight, the one, the five, the four. And instead of being the single box, you now have a roadmap of, well, I could push into any of these resources and expand um, my tools in a way that's really healthy for me based on what I need and where I am, right? And the whole point of the Enneagram is this circle on the outside, yeah. which says, I'm all of these things. And so this is where I'm just pushing out of this single box of seven into all nine of these types, which make me a whole person. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, I can so see how this is like a big helper in businesses, like even like there's 15 of us. So I'm not sure all 15 of us would do it, but like it, having your Enneagram for your whole team, like just approaching people differently and understanding them. Yeah. I do it a lot for teams where I type the whole team and then I make a development plan for the leader. And basically what I do is I give them the cracked open door of, you know, here's where their strengths are. Here's where their pinches and you're going to see their, their survival come out. Here's the support they need from you or the systems that would need to be in place in order to see them up level. And here are some resources I would recommend. And some of it's breath work. I did a whole team of doctors and every single one of them, I was like, they need somatic work. They need yes. someone coming in doing breath work with them. They need grounding techniques. Like, you know, they need to yeah. practice getting in their body. And so then, you know, you deliver all of that to leader and it's like, okay, coach to it you know, build your own development. So yeah, I do. There's such a value in intimate relationships and parenting and yeah. business that it doesn't, you know, what would my type, um, what would you like? I don't know. What would you say about parenting with my type? Hmm. Um, so we fixate very similarly. I'm a, I, I'm a social dominant seven with a six wing. So there's differences with us, but our core is the freedom piece. Like yeah. do not box me. <laughs> right? um, and for parenting, I think you know, a lot of the work for a type seven parent is around presence, is around the moment, which you have beautiful boundaries, right? I don't work on the weekend. I don't work in the evenings. This is family time. And so you're creating external environmental systems, like we call this self-management. You're creating these external systems that support the internal world of, right. I might have to battle and fight this. And so if I create these rules for myself, then I can show up to my child yeah. focused and present, right? So you've battled that already in your boundaries right. to allow yourself to stay present and focused. And then already the work that you've done to stay emotionally connected to yourself allows you to hold space for kids' big feelings, right? Yeah. A typical seven might find it hard to be in the moment and moving on to the next thing and create some busyness and urgency in their parenting. And might have a hard time holding hard emotions with their kiddos, right? They have a tantrum or it's, and, and it 
it might go to you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, right. because they don't know how to hold those feelings. Right. So I'd already say you've done the big things that I would recommend. And it's just doing more of that yeah. so that you can grow with her. Yeah. You know, what's interesting that you asked me if there's anything else that like before we got into this that I that I would share. What I've noticed is whenever I do therapy, like the therapist usually says like, you're so introspective, like almost they're like saying like, well, we, you already know this, like you already know mm-hmm. this, you already know this, like you've already done that. Where do you think that comes from? Like, is there a part mm-hmm. of my, t- cause like, it's interesting to me and it annoyed my husband when we were in marriage therapy for sure. He's like, sure. <laughs> I would say two things. One, there's a hyper independence and an over-functioning that, that occurs in this type as there are other types that do it too. Right. But because I had to be in control at such a young age that I have to be in such control and have such an advanced um, handle on on myself in order to control my own safety. So I think that's a huge, huge part of it for a lot of ways. The second thing is that we often call the seven the monkey mind. Um, there's an avarice for learning and knowledge and holding complex ideas. So it's a very cognitive-based type. The hard work for the seven is the integration. How do I take all of this beautiful knowledge and put it in my emotional regulation and put it in my nervous system regulation? And by having good boundaries, by supporting myself in really powerful ways, I start the work of integration, right? And so that's where you might see in a someone who doesn't work on themselves or doesn't look in the mirror, the gaps start to happen. Yeah, yeah that really resonates because it's almost like if I know it and I see it, you can't hurt me with it. Like if mm-hmm. you tell me I'm stubborn, that's I know I've known that since I was like born. Yeah. So it doesn't hurt. Yeah. But then the integrating, that was definitely a piece that came later on in like when I started the whole social thing is like social media in 2018, but breath work and the somatic work and the this and then that was really a massive eye-opener to integrating all the three books that I read last week (laughs) exactly exactly and and that's that's the whole point of the Enneagram is to be able to like put the language to the pattern yeah so that I can support the pattern in a way that is in alignment with the kind of person I want to be in the world right the work isn't to say Natalie read less books (laughs) Right. Like, and that's what a lot of people do. They project their own personality needs, their type, their energy, right? You're doing too much. You're moving too fast. You're taking, read less, right? Do less because that makes me feel more comfortable around that I can't do more. Instead of just saying, go at your pace. If you're someone that reads 12 books in a year or three books in a week, they're both good. Yep it's the quality of the integration that's important. Um, And so when we have a high level of self-awareness, we quit projecting ourselves on other people. And there's just so much more space for the harder things in life. Right. And that's where I think conflict really starts to resolve is because if I have space in my body for what's true for me, I have space in my body for what's true for you. And then I'm not ruffled by our differences. Right. Right. So where does the like, uh, I guess, fear or like not want of conflict come from in my type or like avoidance of conflict? It is the um, really conditioned 
steady state of a seven body around goodness, happiness, joy, ease, comfort, right? Whatever the words you'd want to use that my body understands um, goodness or safety, right? Is from this nervous system feeling this euphoric, happy, exciting place. So anything that comes underneath and starts to rattle that nervous system experience starts to trigger my fight, flight, or freeze response and say, I am not safe, yeah. right? Just like if a bear was chasing me in the woods or yeah. it's the same sort of urgent response that I have. And so the work of a seven in the nervous system is to be able to sit with the discomfort mm-hmm. or the hard feelings and be able to learn to process through them so that we don't feel like we have to run from that particular right. thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because I, I find in the past and like still comes up, I would sit with them, but I couldn't deal with them anymore. So I would like, I'm putting air quotes around blow up, but let's say it was a friend, then I just dealt with the stuff. And then out of nowhere, I'd be like, you did this and this and this and this and this and this. And like, mm-hmm. and now I feel better. <laughs> because Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, that's definitely been one of the harder things of my personality, I guess, to deal with is, yep, yeah, it's okay till it's not. (laughs) And that's very like, there's, there's that, and this is, you know, I'm going to nerd out, but that's a behavior, right? Conflict avoidance or struggling with conflicts is a behavior. But if we can understand why for every person on a team or why my partner or why my family members struggle with that. We can use a tool that I love in the Enneagram is speaking to somebody's listening. How I would help a seven manage conflict is different than I would a type two or a nine or an eight or a four because their safety response is different, right? Oh, cool. This is so important. I'm like, oh my gosh, we could talk to you forever. But like, I can totally see even more now why this is so important for, I mean, everybody, but businesses too and relationships because it's, it helps. Like there's an intuitive piece where you can kind of see, I mean, I can feel like I can kind of see, but I think knowing deeper is so beneficial to being a leader. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I don't feel like happens culturally, especially around like business coaching is that we give enough birth for people to decide how to run their business in a way that's good for them. Right. And so that's why I like threading the Enneagram into business strategy because it's like, well, what does running the business look like from your gifts, right? Yeah. Your places of strength. And then how do we develop systems, right? We we promote somebody to do the things that we're not great <laughs> at. That That's the yeah. right thing to do because okay, then cool. I get to be in my gift and yeah. give the thing that I'm exceptional at. But so much of the world is like, but this worked for me. So you have to do it this way. And that's actually draining. It actually pulls on our capacity and our intuition and makes us live in a stress state even longer. And so it's more harmful to adopt, you know, other people's methods if we don't know how to connect them to ourselves. And so that's sort of my passion point is like, to really make sure that it's in alignment for you. It's so cool. And it's interesting how I've intuitively kind of just flowed towards that over time, because I'll find myself doing things I hate and then not doing the things I love. And then our business starts to suffer. And I'm like, well, I've seen that pattern a few too many times. Let's get that thing. And yeah, so that's really cool. beautiful. Thank you so So, much for doing this. Yeah. Like with everybody, you'll get a follow-up email with me that'll 
take everything I saw and put in an email, give you some resources, some websites to look at, some videos to watch. Um, you can go down the rabbit hole as much as you want um, to sort of get started. But ultimately, at this point, it's just applying what you learned towards you in a way that feels helpful in, in how you work and how you live. So thank you so much. Thank you for being on the episode again. Yay. Thanks for having me. This is so and fun. Giving an insight. And I, if you want to book with Erin, we'll leave the link below. Do you have a link for them to book directly with you yet? I do. Okay, I have okay. a link and I'll send it to you okay, and I will put a discount with it. So when they book Amazing. it, it'll be like uh, 20. I'll, I typically do 25% off for okay. um, stuff like this. So they'll get a discount when they book. Yay. What a gift. I highly recommend it. Cause even, I know you guys didn't hear the questions, but like even I've been in tons of different therapies and somatic work, blah, blah, blah. But some of the questions were like, oh, yeah, that is where this came from. So you guys definitely <laughs> want to go check it out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Remember, dream big. It's possible for you. And your next version of success is around the corner. Mwah.